0: For a long time, um, I have not seen a need for Jesus in my life. I grew up going to um, this church in small town, Kentucky. I actually grew up going to church with Keilah being a part of this great family. And being a part of a family of God was, was so good. It, um, I was very comfortable from a young age um, talking about God. I loved coming to worship on Sundays and and worshiping and singing. I loved reading the scriptures and and seeing what God was like all throughout the Bible. And if I could describe my life to you, my faith growing up, I would say that that life with God was very simple for me, that I would come to worship on Sundays. And then for the rest of the week, I would try really hard to be pure, uh, to not be envious um, to not be sexually immoral, I would try really hard to be faithful, to be kind, to be compassionate. And those things sound like good things, like coming to worship with the people of God are great things. Abstaining and doing those things are good things. But the only problem for me is that I was missing the main component in the Christian faith, Jesus Christ himself. That if you looked at my life for a long time, for a lot of my upbringing, Christ was not present in my life. I saw that God was real early on. Like I've just had these moments. I'm I'm convinced that there is a God in heaven who loves us very much. And I knew that I wanted life with him. I knew that his ways were better. I read in scripture and that the life that God describes for his people is so much better, so much different than the ways of culture, the ways of this world. And so every week I would come on a Sunday and I would hear about God and I would sing to this God and then I would just absolutely resolve for the rest of the week to live for him. The problem is that Monday morning rolled around, and every Monday I'd stumble. Do you guys connect with that? Like you see God, you connect with God. He has your heart like in a moment where Adam's leading us in worship or you hear something or you take the communion or, or God just shows up and there's something about when we just see God for who he is that our hearts are just drawn to him like a magnet and we leave Him. and we go, this is gonna be the week that I'm not gonna mess around with my girlfriend. This is gonna be the week that I'm gonna be kind to my wife. This is gonna be the week that I share my faith with my coworkers. And yet what happens? It's like every week, the same story on replay. Ferris Bueller's, it's like the same thing over and over again. And I realized after this pattern in my life of of trying really hard and letting God down over and over and over again, the realization that, that I was not living, that I was not doing, that I was not becoming what God wanted, it was just devastating. For a lot of my life, I have not been a Christian. I have not been someone who knows Christ. I've been a good church-going boy who really tried hard to please God. And I think what I was realizing this week in Mark chapter 14, it's, it's in this space when we realize our failures. When we realize that, that we are not what we want to be, what, what God wants us to be, that's where Christ meets us. It's in that place where we we realize that that we continue to fail where Christ shows up and Christ is so crucial and what we do with Christ when we fail. What we do with Jesus Christ when we fail is a very big deal. And over and over again, we're gonna be brought to these like fork in the road moments that, that when we fail, we will either receive Christ and all that comes with Christ his mercy, his forgiveness, his compassion, his empowerment, or we'll keep living without it. Either in a religious way, trying to curry the favor of God by our own righteous living, or in a non-religious way by not caring about God at all, not pursuing him at all. This morning, um, I'm sorry this is kind of heavy. Uh, I, want, I want you guys to be smiling and encouraged and joyful, but the reality is that sometimes like the, the the situation of our lives um, is not joyful. And, and we come into this place and we feel so condemned and we feel so full of shame. And I know that feeling like that we come in this place and because of the, 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 the lives that we've been living this week, the lives that we've been living this past month, the lives that we've been living the, 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 this past year, we come into this place and we feel so much shame and so disappointment and so much far from God. We don't even feel like we belong in this place. This morning, there's good news if you come into this place. I love the story that we're gonna be looking at this morning. We're gonna be looking at two different men, this guy named Judas and this guy named Peter. And here's what you need to know about these two men. If you've never heard about their names before, if you've never been to church, if this is your very first time, here's what you need to know about Judas and Peter, that both of them were apostles of Jesus. And so Jesus had 12 men, 12 apostles that he had called, that he had found, that he had recruited to be a part of his team. And Judas and Peter had been a part of this 12 that they had been with Jesus for three years, for about a thousand days, the entirety of his earthly ministry. Judas and Peter both saw the earthly miracles. They both went on all the road trips with Jesus. And they both failed him miserably. And the only difference between the one who had become the poster child for grace, Peter, and the one who would become the poster child for all time of a life of guilt, Judas, is what they did with Jesus after they failed, when they were at the very bottom of their lives. Invite us to look with me in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 43. It says, just as Jesus was speaking, if you were with us last week, Jesus is been in the garden of Gethsemane, and Andrew taught on this so well that Jesus was with his apostles in the garden, and he was praying this prayer of God, If it is your will, would you take this cup from me? So here where our story picks up. It says, Just as Jesus was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. And with him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer, Judas, he had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is a man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. And listen to this. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. It hit me this week um, that what Judas did in this moment was, was so intentional. Like he didn't stumble into this moment. He had been planning and plotting and scheming. He met with the chief priest and the teachers of the law and the elders, this group of people who wanted nothing to do with Jesus and who had been working hard to find an opportunity to, to literally kill Jesus, to get rid of him. They were tired of, of what he was doing in, in, in their part of the country. And so Judas goes behind Jesus' back, goes behind the other apostles' back and he goes and meets with these guys. in The darkness of one night, and the secret. And he agreed to take Jesus, he, he agreed to take them to Jesus in a place that was outside the city, where no one would know, a place that Jesus so often went to pray. Luke chapter 22 tells us that, that Jesus often went to this place with his disciples to, to be with the Father. And I was just thinking about the the betrayal of Judas in this moment. And this doesn't have to be true, but I'm gonna ask it just in case. Do you, do you have like a special place with God? And you don't have to, it's not written anywhere in scripture. Like you're not supposed to have this as a Christian, but man, do you have a place? Like maybe it's a um, place out in, the, in nature or place in your living room where where you've just been with God and you've connected with his heart. Is there a place that, man, when, when, when life is falling apart, you go to that place to be with God. Think about a special place. Think about this um, place in the old house that Courtney and I used to live in. And we had this, um, it was in our dining room and there was just this big window that looked out to these beautiful trees. And this time of year when the leaves were changing, it was always my favorite place to go. And And I would sit there every morning with a cup of coffee and just pray and be with God. And when I think about a special place with God, I think about that space in my old house. And you think about how special this place was for Jesus and you feel the betrayal that Judas would lead these guys to Jesus in this special place. Let's keep going, verse 46. It says, the men seized Jesus and they arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and he struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his ear. And Jesus said, "Am I leading a rebellion? That you have come out here with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures, they must be fulfilled." Jesus looks at these guys and he says, "You've you've called the SWAT team essentially. You've brought the whole nine yards. And for what? He looks at these guys that are packing heat and he says, am I a robber? Like, am I some high profile murderer? Am I on the most wanted list that, that you would come out here and approach me like this? And I think it's so interesting. It, it's not like Jesus had been hiding. He looks at these guys and he says, I have been in public. I've, I've been teaching in the temple courts. I'm not leading some subversive, underground, pagan movement. No, I've been teaching in your churches every single day. And I think what Jesus is doing here is he's calling these guys who show up ready to arrest the Son of God to examine their motives. It's like he's inviting them. One last appeal. To see. To see what you're doing. To see who I am. Some of the details of the story have grabbed my attention, my heart this week. The kiss of Judas. This is one of the most intimate of acts, isn't it? A kiss. I learned this week, this week that, that this is how disciples would greet the rabbis. This is a way that they would greet the ones who had been teaching them and walking with them. And I think it's so Interesting that Jesus didn't avoid Judas. He didn't see Judas coming and run away. He didn't try to stop Judas. Now Jesus met Judas and he stepped into all the mess that Judas had stirred up and they arrested our king. I thought it was strange that one of the apostles had a sword. You know, you think about the apostles, you think about them like Um, being just these joyful and kind guys that were um, doing miracles and passing out bread, not guys that were packing heat. And and yet it says that one of them pulls out a sword. And most people think that uh, whoever it was that um, pulled out the sword, that they weren't aiming for the ear, They, they thought that they were aiming to kill them and just a very bad aim and so cut off his ear. And what hit me this week is that, that someone in the apostles was going to be resistant. That someone in this moment had the, the, the ability to see what was unfolding, that, that, that Jesus was going to be arrested, that Jesus was going to be taken off, and one of them was going to push back and fight, and one of them was going to not just sit back and let this happen to the one that, that they love so much. But notice that it wasn't Jesus. It wasn't Jesus who fought back. It wasn't Jesus who pulled out a sword. It wasn't Jesus who avoided Judas. Jesus stayed and he stepped into the mess that Judas had made for him. I love the end of verse 49 where Jesus says, the scriptures, they must be fulfilled. The scriptures must be fulfilled. This word fulfilled, it means to complete. He says the scriptures, they they must be completed. And I was asking myself, what is he saying here? What was Jesus saying to these guys in this moment? I could be wrong here. I don't think he was talking about just one particular passage of scripture. I think he was talking about all of it. I think what he's saying in this moment is that the reason all this is happening is because I have come to complete, to fulfill, to to fill up the scriptures. Now, if you don't know anything about the Bible, that's totally cool. You're in the best place in the world. You don't know anything about the story of God. You're in the right place. Let me just try to explain it to you the best that I can. The story of scripture. Start in the very beginning. It's not this idea that, that God created this world. Or another way of thinking about it is that, that God began writing this story. And it's not that the story got hijacked by us and our sin. And so God just gave up. It's not the story of scripture. The story of scripture from beginning to end is that in the very beginning that God created, he created man and woman. He created this guy named Adam, this girl named Eve. And the definition of their relationship, it was defined by intimacy and closeness. It is, uh, the, the picture in Genesis chapter one and two is that, is that God was near. That man and woman saw God and heard from God clearly. You ever notice how hard it is to hear from God? It was not always that way. That man and woman knew exactly where God was all the time. They could see him, they could know him, they could feel him, they could experience him. God created man and woman to participate with him, to take care of the garden, to name all the animals, to be in charge of every animal in the face of the planet. God created man and woman to enjoy God, to know God, to be known by God, to love God, to walk with God, to worship God, to be in the presence of God 24-7. And we messed it up. God gave us commands and we decided that, that we knew the best way to live. And we sinned. And there was separation between us and God. See, when man and woman sinned against God, man and woman lost their holiness. They lost their righteousness. They lost their right standing, which allowed them to be in the presence of holy God. That's the way scripture started. And I love this because all of scripture from Genesis chapter three on is pointing to the redeemer, pointing to the savior, pointing to Jesus who would come to finish, who would come to complete, who would come to fulfill the story that God began writing in the very beginning to to get for God what God wanted all along. He didn't want our acts of service. God doesn't want us to, to be this certain type. God wants us. He wants intimacy and closeness and nearness. The reason you and I were created is so that God could lavish us with his love and so we would give him our love in return. And Christ in this moment says, the reason I can stand here and be arrested, the the reason you would betray me. This is all part of God's God's good plan. Because I have come to give back for God what God wanted all along. And I've come to give to you and to me what we had forfeited long ago. Nick, what you forfeited long ago when you ran from God, Christ came to give it back to you. And Chris, when you ran from God and you lost your holiness and your right standing with God, Christ came to give you back what you'd forfeited. And Nicole, when you ran from God and you you, you broke his heart, Christ came to give back to you what what God wanted for you all along. And Taylor, when you ran from God and you hardened your heart and and you decided you wanted nothing to do with, with God, Christ came to give you back what God wanted for you all along. And it's our story and it's personal and it's intimate that Christ has came, ha- has came. There you go, there's your English people. Christ has, Christ has come to give to us what we had forfeited. And I love verse 50. It says, then everyone deserted Jesus and fled. And I go, not one stayed? Jake, not one person stayed. Not John, the gospel of John describes him as the one whom Jesus loved. Not John, he didn't stay. Not Peter, you think about the things that Peter had experienced with Christ. He walked on water with Christ. The the, the miracles passed through his hands. Peter didn't stay. Not Matthew. The one who, who, who could not even step foot in a church building because of the lifestyle that he had lived before Jesus. Not one person stood by him. In this story, this moment in history is helping us see how different, how beautiful, how necessary Christ is. That what he was about to face, what he was about to do, no one else would, no one else could. That Christ alone would face it all by himself. Let's go down to verse 66. I want us to take a look at Peter for a minute. That was the betrayal of Judas. Let's look at the betrayal of Peter. Mark 14, starting in verse 66. It says, while Peter was below in the courtyard, and so Jesus has been arrested, he's in this upper room on trial. It says, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself by a fire because it was cold, she looked closely at him. She said, you also were with that Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it. Listen to what Peter says. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And he went out to the entryway. And when the servant girl saw him there, she again said to those standing around, this fellow, he is one of them. And again, Peter denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And Peter remembered the word that Jesus had just spoken to him a few hours earlier. Before the rooster crows twice, Peter, you will disown me three times. And Peter broke down and he wept. It's the word of God from Mark chapter 14. You go back and you read Mark chapter 14, verse 29, and it's this crazy moment where face to face with Jesus, Peter was so bold and so confident that he knew that he loved Jesus and he knew that he was loyal to Jesus. Jesus. For those of you who who follow Christ, have you ever had those moments where you're just locked into God, you're locked into worship, and it's in that moment where you go, God, I'll charge any hill. I'll do anything for you, God, no matter what comes my way, I'm not ever bending, I'm gonna walk in obedience. You ever had one of those moments where you just see God and you go, God, I want you to have all of me. Yet so often, it's in the dark places where our loyalty is exposed when no one is watching you see I'm convinced in the rest of the story it wasn't that that Peter didn't love Jesus is that there was still something in him that was not fully ready to be identified with Jesus He liked benefiting from Jesus. He he liked walking with Jesus. He liked being seen with Jesus. But there was something about this moment where he realized that he was not yet fully ready to be associated with Jesus. That there was a cost that Peter was not yet willing to pay. And I go, what was going on in this moment? Was it fear of dying? Did Peter think, man, if if this little girl tells me that if she exposes me for who I am and if I own up to it, am I gonna die just like Jesus? Or I wonder if it was fear of Jesus being a fraud. I wonder if there was some doubt in Peter's heart. You know, what kind of a Messiah would be arrested? What kind of a Messiah, what kind of a savior wouldn't even put up a fight? go we face these moments all the time in life moments or seasons where our association with Jesus where if you and I if we choose to identify with Christ there is a great cost and when it comes down to it a lot of the times we just realize that we're not willing to pay the cost that we're not willing to be associated with Jesus that though we might love him Life just has this way of bringing us into these moments where we realize that we're not fully ready to be identified with Jesus. So for some of us, it's our lifestyle, or our sexuality, or our comfort, or the plans that we have made for ourselves that we will face these moments in life where we realize that something is gonna have to give should we choose to keep following Jesus. And a lot of times, it's not us that gives in. We choose instead to cut ties with Jesus. And every single one of us do this. We all do it. My goal this morning, though, is not to beat us up and to kick us because of what we've done. But I do think it's important for us to come to grips with this reality. The text tells us that when Peter realized that what he had done, the end of verse 72 says that he broke down and he wept. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had a time in your life where where you hurt God and you knew it and it just bothered you on a heart level? You ever had a time where where you didn't care about other people finding out about what you'd done? You ever had a time where, where it was this moment between you and God where you realized that you had betrayed him and it just cut you deep? My little girl, Finley, Every night before bed, we try to have this bedtime routine. We go and we let her brush her teeth and tell her every night, okay, sit on the potty. And then we get in bed and read a couple books and tell a few stories, say our prayers and go to sleep. And I kid you not, every night, it is a freaking fight to get that girl to use a potty. <laughs> She'll brush her teeth fine and she loves it. And, and then I'll say, all right, Finn, let's go use the bathroom. I don't have to. I don't want to, I don't need to. And you wanna see me angry? Come to my house, eight o'clock at night, fighting with Finley about sitting on the stinking toilet and just peeing. <laughs> Every night, I kid you not. I've lost my temper so many times, like, just sit on the freaking potty and pee. I know you're gonna have to. <laughs> And it bothers me that, that she won't just listen to me. That she won't just do what I ask her to do. It's always a fight. It's always why. And I realize that that same stubborn, do what I want to do, throw a fit when I don't get what I want, resistant to authority attitude, that same attitude is in me. And Wednesday night, I was laying in bed. I woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't fall back asleep. I was laying in bed for two hours. Those are the worst, aren't they? And and I just realized that this is true of me. You know, I've been wrestling this week with some things in scripture I've been reading and I've encountered some things that just to be honest, I don't like. And so often when I read things in scripture that God says that I don't like, I say, No thanks. Or I'm not going to submit myself to to that part of teaching. Or I'm going to go find something else that I like. And, And I just had one of these moments. I was laying in bed on Wednesday night and my heart was breaking. Because I realized how good God has been to me. And yet how often I still betray him. Do you know that feeling? That pain? And I think it's so important that we see Jesus and we see him clearly in this story. You see, Jesus knew both of these men. He knew exactly what they would do to him. And I can only imagine the hurt in Jesus' heart, knowing that Judas, knowing that Peter, knowing that every disciple was going to to, to not stand by him, that he would face all of this alone. And I tell you, if, if I knew in my spirit that when we left today, that some of you guys were gonna like make a move on my wife, if I knew in my spirit, Angie, that when we left here today, you were like just spreading gossip and lies about me. If I knew when we, when we left today that, that, that you were gonna like purposefully try to hurt my kids, I promise you, if I knew that in my spirit, our interactions here on Sunday morning will be way different. And yet Christ just keeps letting these guys do to him as they please. He steps into the mess that Judas had made for him. He's on trial in this room with no one to defend him or speak for him. And Christ just takes it. All the betrayal, all the hurt, all the sin. And here's the difference. If you were to go and you were to read how Judas' story and Peter's story plays out, what you would see is that they take a drastically different approach. And it all had to do with what they did with Christ. And so you go, go and read this in Matthew chapter 27, verse three, it says that when Judas realized that what he had done to Christ, when he realized what was about to happen to Christ, it says that he was filled with remorse. And it says that he tried to undo what he had done. And when he realized that he did not have the power or the authority to undo what he had done, when he realized that what he had done to Christ was now out of his control, Judas went and killed himself. And it's one of the hardest and saddest stories in all scripture. And Judas for all time has become known as the ultimate betrayer. And yet Peter's story is so different. One of my favorite stories in all the Bibles in John chapter 21 where Peter and several other of the apostles are in Galilee fishing. And we're not exactly sure what they're doing in Galilee, but we do know from from Mark chapter 14, verse 28, that Jesus said, once I'm crucified and once I rise from the dead, I'm gonna go ahead of you into Galilee and you'll see me there. And it seems that Peter and his friends, some of the apostles are fishing in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And it seems that even though Peter has sinned, he wants to believe that his sin, his betrayal would not be the end of what he had with Christ. And so there's, moment, there's this moment in John chapter 21 where they're fishing. they have been fishing all night. And this person stands and he shows up on the shoreline and he, and he looks at Peter and the apostles who are in the boat and, and he says to them, have you guys caught anything? And they yell back, they can't quite see. It's, a, it's early in the morning, it's hard to see. It's hard to make out what's going on. They say, no, we haven't caught anything. And so this guy standing on the shoreline says to them, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And they, and they do it, they throw their nets on the other side and it says that they catch all these fish and John, in this amazing moment, he looks at Peter and he says, that's Jesus. And I love what happens in John chapter 21. It says that Peter takes off his clothes (laughs) and he jumps into the water and he's swimming as fast as he can to get to Jesus. And it's there on the shoreline, after passing through the water, where Peter encounters the resurrected Christ. And you know what Jesus does to him in John chapter 21? He doesn't tell him, shame on you, Peter. And he doesn't look at Peter and he says, I'm so disappointed in you, Peter. And he doesn't look at Peter and he says, Peter, after all you've been through, how in the world could you betray me? Do you know what he does in John chapter 21? He forgives him. And he lavishes him with his forgiveness. And he invites Peter back into the innermost places of his team. And he recommissions Peter. And here's what's so cool about the rest of Peter's life. He just becomes this, this pillar in the church. You go and you read about the life of Peter in Acts chapter two and he preaches this one sermon and 3,000 people get baptized. That God is so powerful at, in, in Peter's life. He's so powerfully at work in Peter's life that, that Peter's, like people are bringing handkerchiefs to touch Peter's body and the handkerchief is taken to sick people and it makes them well. The power is radiating from Peter's life. His, his, his life is marked with power and grace and love. And the only difference in Judas and Peter It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, not a theory or historical figure, but the living and resurrected Jesus Christ who's with us today. Jesus Christ who meets sinners, who turn to them. Jesus Christ who meets people who've messed it up, who've gone too far, who've been to the very bottom, who've done the things that they've never thought they would ever do. Jesus Christ who meets those people. And he imparts forgiveness and mercy in life. And here's where I want us to end this morning. Some of you come here this morning and, and you're not a follower of Jesus. And I want you know that you're always welcome here. Um, that if this is not a safe place for you if um, then nowhere else in the world is going to be. This is a place for you to come. Let me just say two things to you. If you don't yet follow Jesus, man, keep coming back. If you don't yet believe, Keep coming. If you've never seen God or heard God, man, keep giving God space in your life. He is alive. He died. He rose again. And, and he tells us, if you seek him, you will find him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, keep coming. And I also want to say this. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you come here and you go, man, but I want to know Jesus. You can have a relationship with Christ anytime. You can come to him this morning. And here in just a minute, we're gonna stand, we're gonna sing, there's gonna be some men and women at the respond banner in the back. And if you wanna walk with Christ, if you wanna know Christ, if you wanna receive Christ, if you wanna become his follower, you can do that today. We'll help you figure out what that looks like. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, let me say this. Um, there are some of you here this morning and you come in this place, and I know it because I've been there so many times. You come in here on Sunday mornings and, and you've done that thing that you, you think, God, he's he just run out of forgiveness. You come here this morning and and you did that thing that you never thought you would do. You cross the line, whatever the line is that you think exists. The only difference in Judas and Peter is that Judas did not give Jesus a chance. And if you come here this morning and you're broken and you're fallen and you've messed up and you come in this place and you don't feel worthy, you come in this place and you keep falling back and you keep sinning and you keep taking your eyes off of God. Come to Jesus this morning. That every week we take the bread and we drink the cup and this is our way of remembering Christ. And I invite you as we take communion this morning to, to be with Christ. To confess, man, God, this is where I have failed you. This is what I've done. And, and let the goodness and the realness and the mercy of Christ flood your life. One of the things that I've found in my own life, and James tells us in James chapter one, that he says, confess your sins. Confess your sins to each other and you'll be healed. And I think it's so intentional and so beautiful what he says there. He, he, he says, confess your sins and you'll be healed. It's not that, 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 that you'll be healed from God. You're healed from God the moment you turn back towards God. He's doing something beautiful there. He knows that when we confess our sins to each other, seeing grace and forgiveness in people's eyes helps us really understand that God does forgive us. And so this morning, as we're taking communion, man, if, if you've messed up this week, if you fall, if you've taken your eyes off of him, let your brothers and sisters that you've come here, the people that you love most, as you break the bread, confess sins. Pray for each other. Let Christ cover you. For those of you this morning, you look at your life and you go, man, I've actually been walking with Christ. And it's okay, you don't have to pretend like you've betrayed him. Like if you haven't been betraying him, if you've been walking in identification and association with Jesus, even when it costs you much. As we go and take communion this morning, I wanna just give you a question to think about. How How is his grace shaping your life? So as you take communion, man, think about how is his grace shaping your life? I want to end where I started this morning. You know, as a 30-year-old, I don't have all this figured out, but I do still believe in the God who's revealed in the Bible. I believe that walking in his ways are the absolute best way to live. The difference for me right now is that when I fall, I know that I have a Savior who continues to meet me in my mess, who has covered me, who continues to step into all the stuff that I've stirred up, and instead of every week sitting in shame and disappointment and kicking myself i'm learning to receive forgiveness and grace i'm learning to live a life of worship and gratitude for the one who has given back to me what i've forfeited a long time ago blamelessness forgiveness holiness let's pray